Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, the lesson from Matthew from our gospel this morning would serve as an excellent text or basis for an evangelism Sunday or a mission festival. In fact, maybe outside of the, the words at the end of Matthew's gospel known as the Great Commission, these would serve as, as a suitable text as well as any from Scripture for such a message on evangelism. And of course, anytime we're talking about evangelism or our calling to put our faith into practice by sharing that faith, by witnessing and testifying about it to others, then inevitably we have to talk about the reasons that we give for not being more active in this area of our Christian faith. And of course, the reasons that we give are plenty. Well, I, I don't have any unbelieving friends. All my friends are Christians, so who am I going to tell Jesus about if everybody I know is already a Christian? I don't know the Bible very well. I don't know it well enough to be able to share or tell others what it says. I'm afraid of what I might say wrong, or I'm afraid of how somebody else might respond to it if they feel like I'm pushing my faith onto them. And of course, one of, one of my personal favorites, uh, isn't that why we call you pastor? To go and tell other people about Jesus? Of course, the, the reasons are many, and it really doesn't take a whole lot of effort on our part. It doesn't require much effort to be able to actually uh, unravel each of those reasons and expose them for what they really are. They're nothing more than excuses. But today, I, I want to actually backtrack a little bit, get to that point even before we get up to the, the obstacles, the hindrances, the excuses for not being more active in our lives of evangelism, and get to a, even a more crucial point. In fact, it's a point that I believe is so crucial that, that if we don't deal with this underlying issue, well, we're going to continue to spin our wheels dealing with excuses and reasons and wasting our time, and it'll make no difference. So today, my hope is that we, first of all, are willing to listen to what the underlying or bigger issue is, even if I can tell you it's not going to be pleasant for us to hear it. But if we're willing to hear it, to acknowledge it, and then to address it, then we'll see what God is able to do. If God might finally be able to make that breakthrough in us, His Holy Spirit working in us finally to, to revive and to revitalize us individually and as a church, perhaps even, to make a global impact on the world, maybe to a degree that we've never seen before. To help us get to that that underlying issue, the most crucial aspect when it comes to evangelism, we're going to play a game. You're probably familiar with the word association game, and it's kind of like that, only we might call it the emotion association game. I'm going to describe, in general, certain types of individuals, and as I do so, I want you to just think about how you feel uh, each time I describe a different individual. Here we go. A panhandler looking for handouts in the center of a busy intersection. 
an outspoken atheist. An unkempt, disheveled man who is audibly speaking gibberish to himself while digging through garbage cans looking for bottles and cans to recycle. An activist loudly speaking into a megaphone. A woman hanging up clothes outside her makeshift tent planted on the side of a highway embankment surrounded by garbage littered everywhere. A family member who has absolutely no desire to speak anything religious whatsoever. A neighbor, a neighbor who day after day, week in and week out, sits home all day collecting unemployment while being perfectly healthy and perhaps even living off welfare. Think of those individuals. When I mentioned or described each of them, how did you feel? And the bigger question here is, for how many of them did you feel compassion? All of them? Many of them? Some of them? One or two of them? None of them? And maybe a more telling or revealing question to ask, and the answer, of course, would be not just how much or how little compassion did you feel for those individuals, but what was your response when I asked you if you didn't feel more compassion for more of them? Did you immediately get defensive? Did you immediately justify why you didn't feel compassion toward more of those individuals that I described? Because they broke laws. Because perhaps... Uh, they are a product of their own decisions because they're lazy, because whatever the list might go on that popped up in your head. And yet, that doesn't excuse you and me from feeling compassion toward them. See, the reason that we played that little game is because I'm convinced that, that one of the more crucial aspects, not just of evangelism and not just that this world struggles with, but even within Christianity is this, the vanishing of compassion. And there are probably uh, as many reasons or factors that contribute it to that as you can possibly imagine. You could spend all kinds of time discussing what is really the cause of the lack of compassion, and there are, are many reasons we're caught up in, in headlines and news stories. And you may even remember, remember back in the day, uh, maybe a couple generations ago, when an event was reported in the news, and it was unbiased. It was just details, just the facts, but it was a balanced perspective. Here's the information. You make your decision. Where do you find that today on, on one side of the aisle or other? You don't. In place of balance has become bias. And not only that, but, but vitriol that, that, that has absolutely zero tolerance for a different type of view, let alone a completely opposing view. Now, we might blame the media for that, but the reality is that the media has to report its news in a way that's going to get our attention for any more than 10 seconds, so it shouldn't surprise us that headlines and stories are filled with, with offense, with shock, 
with anger, with anything that might finally get our short attention span. And those are just a, a few of the reasons why, why perhaps compassion is so lacking because it's not fed and it's not nourished everywhere we look. And so when Jesus made this statement in the gospel today, Jesus said these words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The question we're asking is, where are all of the workers? Why does Jesus say there are few? It's not as if there, there are actually not enough in this world. Statistically, there are more than enough Christians, but yet Jesus says the workers are few. Is it because that we are so busy being offended or offending others with worldly matters and we are so caught up in current events that we don't have time for kingdom events? That's the real issue here. Again, I'm not as concerned about dialoguing and considering and figuring out everything that contributed to a lack or a vanishing of compassion in general in our world today, but much more interested in whether or not we are willing to acknowledge it and then address it and work on it. Because compassion is really the why behind evangelism. See, we do things for Jesus. We live for Jesus because we love him. Why do we do things for other people? Because we love him, but we also love them, right? So if we don't love them, if we lack compassion toward them, if we don't care about them, then why would we go and witness to them? See, if we don't care enough about others, then why would we share Jesus with? others. And maybe a, a way to simplify it is simply to ask the question or to make the statement, if we don't care, then we won't share. If I lack compassion for my neighbor's general well-being, no matter what their situation is, if I don't care about them, then I am not going to share Jesus with them. So compassion is essential to the heart of somebody that is going to fill that need that Jesus calls us to, the workers that he longs to send to his harvest. And how beautifully Jesus models that for us in the gospel today. Listen to how Matthew describes it. In verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on them. And notice that, that Jesus wasn't busy filling himself with the news of the day. He didn't have his eyes glued to Fox or CNN. Jesus wasn't reading about or hearing about the news. He was making the news by virtue of proclaiming the good news to the world around him. He was not looking to be agitated or riled up or to do the same to others, but rather he saw people who were helpless, people who were lost, People who were in need. And Jesus went to them to seek them, to serve them, to save those who were helpless and lost. 
how sedentary, spiritually speaking, we are. There, there isn't much get up and go to us, is there? Not the way that, that Jesus is described. You notice all of the, the ways that Matthew described him. He, he went from town to town to village to village. And he sent his disciples out. And he said to give and to go. These are, these are active words. These require traction, momentum, movement, activity. These aren't static. These aren't sit around and, and wait till they come to us. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to ask the Lord of the harvest to bring the harvest to you. But he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers to do the work, to harvest those souls with the message of the gospel, the good news of life, forgiveness, and salvation in Jesus. So what are we to, to do? If, if compassion is the root of the issue and it's lacking, it's vanishing on our part, well, how do we address it? It's not just a matter of me reminding you, hey, you should be more compassionate. Although I suppose we could use that reminder from time to time. And it's not a matter of me yelling more loudly to tell you, be more compassionate and get out in the world. All those things are going to do is fill you up with more guilt. And then for a time at least, with, of course, guilt-induced reluctance, you might go out and, and share your faith or witness and make that a priority for a time. But eventually you'll fall back to your old ways, as we all will, unless... We come by compassion the right way. And the only way that we are ever going to be compassionate toward others is if we ourselves are filled with the compassion that Jesus has for us. You notice when Jesus describes all of the crowds and he says them and he says they as he's sending out his disciples, you know that, that he's talking to people who are like, who were like you and me. You, we're the crowds. We're the people that Jesus was sent to and sent his disciples to. Jesus had compassion on you and on me. Jesus was born into this world for you and for me. Jesus lived for you and me. Jesus endured ridicule and resentment for you and me. He was bullied and he was brutally beaten and finally murdered for you and for me. That is how compassionately Jesus feels about us. And when he was murdered, he did not stay dead, but he rose for you and he lives and breathes again and rules all things for you. That is compassion. And that is how much he cares for you. That kind of compassion changes how we view other people. We don't see offenders and agitators. We don't see people that, are, that lead us to be angry and resentful and bitter. But instead we see people, well, people who are just like you and I were. Lost. Helpless in need of, of saving, in need of somebody to love and to serve them. And so when Jesus works that compassion in us, it changes the way that we view other people. And we see that, that he has taken us from among those crowds and he now sends us to those crowds. And on the one hand, it's not 
It's not an easy thing. It's not easy because when we look out into this world, we see hatred, we see all kinds of hurt. And it's kind of only natural for us to want to then guard and protect ourselves from that hurt and from that hatred. And so sometimes emotionally we withdraw and, and we shut down. We, we try to protect ourselves, not put ourselves out there so that we aren't at risk, so that we aren't on the receiving end of that hurt and that hatred. And we sometimes do this then physically as well, as if we can physically remove ourselves from this world and, and hide in our own little cocoon and then we'll be protected and safeguarded from all of the hatred and all of the hurt that exists so prevalently out there in the world. But friends, boy, would we miss such an important point. We would miss that Jesus doesn't call us. He hasn't made us his own simply to guard and protect us from that, though he promises he will. No, he has, has set us apart to actually go and serve those who are filled with hate and who are hurting. He has sent you and he has sent me to have compassion on them, to be the ones who are going to proclaim peace, to be the ones that who are going to deal in deliverance, to be the heralders of, of hope. He has called you and me to do that. And if we withdraw, if we give in to to that desire to avoid the hurt and the pain that is so prevalent, then we're missing out on the fact that Jesus has called us out of the crowds to send us to those crowds, to serve them, to love them, to bring them to and point them to Jesus and the very salvation he, he won for them and the very same compassion that he has for us that he also has for them. So on the one hand, it's not it's not easy, but it's necessary to see that God hasn't called us to withdraw from that, but rather to be the solution to it. But on the other hand, it is easy. Because nowhere does Scripture, nowhere does God tell you or me that we are responsible for a single soul being one. Nowhere does he give to us the expectation that we are to be responsible for some miraculous harvest. After all, remember whose it is. He is the Lord of the harvest in verse 38. They're workers that he's sending into his harvest field, not yours and not mine. No, that, that work is always and will only be the work of the Holy Spirit who brings people to faith, who sustains them, who keeps them in faith and who enlightens them in the faith and helps them grow in the faith. That's not your work. That's not my work. It's always the Holy Spirit's work. And yet, he chooses to carry that work out through you and me as we proclaim the very same good news that Jesus himself taught and preached. That's what Jesus meant when he sent out his disciples and in verse 8 of chapter 10, he said, Freely have you received, freely give. The grace and compassion and full forgiveness that you have freely received from Jesus, he sends you and me to freely give. Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, 
the workers are few. Not really. The workers aren't few. There are plenty of workers in the world today to be a part of, of harvesting the souls that Jesus already paid for. The question is this. Will you be compassionate enough toward them to be one of those workers? Amen.